Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. How we doing? Good, good. Hey, um, before I'm going to introduce our preachers for today, but before I do that, we got a couple of holidays that our country is celebrating. Just want to acknowledge them. So first, happy Father's Day to all the dads uh, at our church. Go ahead, give it up for our dads. That's right. Yes. That's right. Our, uh, our preachers are going to talk more to you in a second. Secondly, let me say happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Yeah. If you're, um, if you're a little bit like, what is that? Um, Juneteenth, the name given to June 19th, which is the annual celebration of the day in 1865, where the slaves in Galveston, Texas, were finally pronounced free, marking the end of Slavery. You see, freedom in our nation was definitely a process. It took 90 years and two wars in order for everybody to be free. You got July 4th when we declared our independence, and then June 19th when freedom was granted to all people. So if you celebrate July 4th, I'd encourage you to celebrate June 19th. Now, I thought this week it would be good for me to briefly bring up why do we bring up holidays in church? Like, why do we bring up Father's Day, Mother's Day, July 4th, June 19th? Was because God's people are people of all peoples, right? So we reflect the kingdom of heaven as different tribes and tongues gather together. And it's learning and acknowledging the history of brothers and sisters from different tribes, to be the language of the Bible, is just an act of brotherly love. And as God's people, we're always looking for a way to point people to the kingdom of heaven. So this weekend, there's just a couple of opportunities built in as we celebrate dads. What are we doing? We're pointing to our heavenly fathers. Whether you had a good dad, bad dad here on earth, he was just meant to be a signpost of the one true and good love of the heavenly father for you. Same thing true with Juneteenth. As it relates to this, the church says, hey, freedom in this life is good, but God doesn't promise it in this life. And his people have not always experienced such freedom. But scripture says Christ has won a more important freedom for us a freedom his people have, even if they're enslaved or persecuted, even if they're struck down, treated harshly their whole lives, Christ has won an eternal freedom for his people, freedom from slavery to sin and freedom from eternal death. And that freedom is what we lift high and exalt in the church. That freedom creates a hope that has carried God's people through, his, through their darkest days. That's what we do, y'all. As citizens of heaven placed here on earth. We look for whatever's going on here on earth as a way to point people back to the kingdom of heaven. And this weekend presents a great opportunity for that. So I hope you'll celebrate freedom in Christ uh, this weekend. Now, let me introduce our two preachers for us this morning uh, at our Northeast campus. Uh, the venerable Dr. Reverend Richard Barnes is going to be preaching for you guys there at Northeast and at Providence Road. Uh, the man, just the man, the myth, the legend, Pastor Josh Jones is going to be preaching here. Now, both of these guys um, have something in common. It's pretty powerful. Both of them have roots in the state of Texas, and both of them have lived every Texan's dream by leaving that state and moving to North Carolina. So we, um, that's right. That's right. We're so excited to have both of them not only in our state, of course, but on our church staff. These are two, um, really two great dads. I admire the way that they lead their homes, lead their children, and the way that they shepherd you, Mercy Church. So at both of our campuses, will you join me in welcoming Richard Barnes and Josh Jones to come bring God's word to us this morning? Well, the thing that Spence failed to mention was that whose school was better in Texas, whether that was Josh Jones' school or mine. And the obvious choice is mine, right? Uh, shout out to the Red Raiders in the room. Um, well, uh, 
Uh, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Again, my name is Richard Barnes. I am one of the uh, pastors here. Um, if you are a father in the room, um, you know this, but I want to say this, that you are important in your home. You are important. Um, and, and, and those who don't have fathers, I just want to stop and just recognize that, that today is a hard day for you. You know, if you're like myself, I had an amazing father, but he's no longer with me and with my, my family. And some of y'all might not have a father at all, or some of you had a good dad, or I mean, a not so great dad, and you're grieving this day. And I just want you to know that today that I am grieving with you. Um, and, and know that today has a mixture of, of good feelings and a and, and mixture of, of some sad feelings. Um, but fathers in, in the room, I want you to know this, and this is the thing we want to establish here, is that your presence in your home matters. You, as a, as a father, as a husband, you provide protection, you provide affection, and you provide confidence in ways that a mother just can't. So fathers, thank you today for showing up. Thank you for loving your families, and thank you uh, for being the man that you are. Uh, the Lord sees you, and he loves what you're doing. You know, um, as, a, as, as a dad, you know, we, we, we realize that our children's watches, right? Um, a lot of times I like to mimic uh, what we do. Uh, this is a little small example is uh, my oldest son, Malachi. Whenever he was three years old, uh, he would watch me mow my, um, our lawn, um, our lawn back in Texas. It was beautiful, y'all. It was luscious. It, it was awesome. I can't manage to do that here. Uh, maybe it's, it's, it's that clay soil. But, but, but he, he would watch me mow uh, the lawn. And then one day uh, he pulled out his little baby lawnmower and he started to follow um, uh, behind me. This little thing had, it, it, it like produced bubbles as it was coming um, behind. And, and this dude thought he was doing something. Like he, he really thought that he was really mowing that lawn. But here's the thing. Malachi loves to do what I do. And dads, your children, they like to mimic, they like to do the things that you do. Your, your children, they are sponges. They observe, they watch everything. They pay attention to your good traits, but they also pay attention to your not so good traits, your flaws. You see, every man in this room, we all have flaws. And some of us dads in here, we're dealing with some demons. And those demons are most often connected to our generational demons that are passed down that I will call sins of a father. In fact, Galatians uh, 6 talks about what happens whenever we don't deal with these generational things. Uh, it says, forever what a man sows, he also reaps. The scriptures call that the law of harvest, harvest meaning that how you invest, how you live your life matters. Therefore, making it very intentional, fathers in the room, for you to be intentional to how that you live. Why? Why? Because your children and your grandchildren will reap the fruit of what you sow, whether good or bad. And if these generational sins, they are not addressed and they are not dealt with, they will wreak habit on the next generation. That's what we're going to see in our text today. As David said, as we saw last week, they, he started out, um, um, you know, he, he took advantage of Bathsheba and you start to see the beginnings of his sin to wreak habit on his family. Nathan, prophet Nathan told him that in 2 Samuel 12, 10, he, he told him that his sins were, were going to impact his children. So today in our text, we're going to explore three of David's children. Two of their stories, y'all, they're going to end in absolute tragedy and no closure. But then one of his children, what we're going to see is that he's going to continually to cause more and more havoc upon the family. So today in our sermon today, we're going to explore the sins of a father, things that fathers deal with, which are lust, misuse of power, character, and passivity. Y'all, there, there isn't a lot of good news in this passage, but if you are a believer in the room, there is always good news because of the cross of Jesus. 
Amen? Amen. And so here's the thing that I want us to understand today. As we look upon the bad things, I want us to see is that when confronted with sin and brokenness, God's grace is our medicine for our disgrace. That's the main point of the passage today, is that, is that there is grace. Grace covers the sinner, but also restores the sin against. Because today we're going to see a victim who is sinned against. So if you are not a father in this room, I don't want you to check out because there are some things for you in this passage. But this, but this sermon is for fathers. And parents, if you are a parent in the room and you have a kid that is ele- elementary age, or maybe you have a kid that are in, in high school for elementary age kids, uh, we have Mercy Kids. Um, I want to encourage you to um, put them in there because um, the content today is going to be hard. It is. It's some very adult content. Um, and so um, you can do that um, as, as I pray. And for our students, we have um, some volunteers in our HQ um, outside um, to be with those, those students. And so as, as I pray, get up if, if you like, um, may switch your kids and then we'll dive into the uh, sermon. All right, will you join me in prayer? Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful that as we just sung about, is that you are working we don't, when we don't see that you're working. Today we're about to experience some explicit material. It's just hard for our hearts, hard for my heart to comprehend. So Lord, we ask that you would guide us. Will you help our hearts to connect to this passage? Help us to see your hand at work. Help us to, 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 to grow, particularly as men, to grow as men that you design us to be. And for the hearers in the room, Lord, I ask that may the words of my heart and the meditations of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our Redeemer, in whom we trust. Everybody agrees with that? Say amen. 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 All right, verse 1. 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. If you got it, say, I got it. You don't got it, say, hold up, preacher. I I heard you. I see you you wrestling down there. Verse 1. Some time passed, and David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. So this passage starts out indicating that some time has passed. And so there was a break in between David's tragic fall of sexually abusing Bathsheba and making her his wife and him being called out on his sin by the prophet Nathan into now. And the text then tells us there are three new characters, three of David's children that that is introduced to us. First, we have Absalom, we have Tamar, and we have Amnon. First, there is Absalom. And so we're going to hear more about him in a bit. But what we need to know right now is that Absalom is next in line to receive the kingdom behind Amnon. Amnon is one of David's, his David's firstborn. Then we have Tamar. And what we need to know about her is that the text says that, that she is beautiful. She, she's gorgeous. She's, she's a princess. And it says that she's a virgin. But if you look at the text or what we don't see in the text, but one thing that we know is that she's Absalom's full-blooded sister, but Tamar, Amnon's half-sister. And then we have Amnon. Amnon is the first in line to receive the throne after David. And according to what the text is saying here is that Amnon had this unsatiable lust for his sister that it made him sick. He was wrestling with the fact that that she was his half-sister and he wanted to sleep with her. But incest in Israel was unlawful. So he sat in his frustration and sat in his desires. Verse 3. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother, Shemaiah. Jonadab was a very shrewd man, and he asked Amnon, why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, I'm in love with my, I'm, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. 
So he's shucking some responsibility, not even claiming that that's his sister. So apparently, as we see, Amnon was literally just groaning around the, the kingdom that it was noticeable for people to see that he was in frustration. And according to, to the text, his, his friend, and what we also know that, that Jonadab is his cousin, he was known for being this wicked, crafty man. And so he shared with, with um, Amnon how to get alone with Tamar to pursue his desires. And so then in verse five and six, uh, he tells her how, how to do that. He tells him to, hey, uh, Amnon, won't you go and pretend to be ill and then go tell your daddy, David, uh, that, that you want your sister to come into, your, into the house um, so that she can cook for you so you can be better. And so David does what Amnon requested. Verse seven, David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. And then Tamar went to the house while Amnon was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his presence and baked them. So what we see here is David is the un mindful in between, between his kids. He knew, everyone knew that his son had this unhealthy lust towards his daughter, but he sent Tamar into the lion's den anyways. So innocently, naively, and lovingly, Tamar prepares a feast for a king to be. Then according to plan, Amnon refuses to eat and he sends everyone out the room and asks her to come feed him in his room because he is so sick that he can't feed himself. And here's what happened, verse 11. And when she brought him, when she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. She replied, don't bother my, my brother. She cried, don't disgrace me. Such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? And in you, you would be like one of the outrageous fool in Israel. She begs, please speak to the king, for he won't keep me from you. So fighting against Amnon, Tamar cries out in verse 12, don't disgrace me. Don't disgrace me. She tried to negotiate with him by explaining that if he does this act, that she would not be considered a victim of abuse, but a disgrace in Israel. Not only that, he will be regarded. She said, hey, man, like you're going to be a fool because who, who wants a king with no morals and no principle? But then she realized in this moment that he was not going to change his mind. So, she, so, so then she suggested Hey, can you just go ask our dad, can you have me to be your, your, your wife? Because, because uh, although it was forbidden in Israel's laws for, for, for people to intermarry within their own family, it was more preferable than what he was about to do to her. She was likely thinking, since Abraham married his half-sister, Sarah, there could be some, some, some precedence with us. But y'all, before we move on, I want to state the obvious. And what I want to point out is that Amnon was the powerful and Tamar was the powerless. Amnon, following the footsteps of his daddy, King David, he misused his power in this moment. Both him and David misused their power in this moment. David took advantage of Bathsheba and Amnon misused his power towards his sister. We're going to get to her experience in a moment, but what I, with fathers, well, the first thing I want you to see today is that I want you to know is that God's grace is our medicine, is our, um, is our medicine, God's grace is the medicine for our disgrace and our misuse of power. Amnon and David misused their power. So, 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 so what is power? Like, how, how, how do we define what power is? And so, as a definition, power is simply the ability to cause and to prevent change. Power used well can lead to a thriving of a family, thriving of communities. But gentlemen, listen up. So often as men, we misuse our power. We misuse it through manipulation. 
coercion, control. This is not unique to men. If anyone who is in charge of somebody, whether you are a mother over kids or whether you're a, a boss over an employee, we all misuse power. We all do. We, we, all, we all try to force people to do things that they don't want to do because the fact is that we want to be gods and kings, kings and queens of our lives. But that is why we need Jesus because he teaches us how to use power well. He taught us that power is not found in might and in control, but through surrender and sacrifice. Fathers, because of the grace of God, because God's grace is our medicine for our disgrace when it comes down to our power. Fathers, you can lead like Jesus. Jesus showed us how to model what godly leadership is. A leader that is gentle and lowly, compassionate and empathetic, kind and endearing. But here's the deal, fathers. If you don't deal with your misuse of power over your children, especially dads who have sons, they will repeat the cycle of your misuse of power. They will. They're watching. They may be three, but then they're going to turn to be 18. They're watching. So that's what David's sons did. They watched him misuse his power. But Father, because of Christ, you can use your power for good. Let's turn back to text and see how he misuses his power. Verse 14. But he refused to listen to her. And because he was stronger than she was, he disgraced her by raping her. So Amnon hated Tamar with so much intensity that the hatred he, that he hated her was far greater than the love that he had for her. So as we saw Tamar's pleading, begging, asking, please don't do this. It was meaningless. Amnon raped his sister. In chapter 12, we see that David sexually abused Bathsheba, but he married her. His, his marriage to her was, was a cover-up to try to, to do the right thing. But Amnon's sin was more pronounced. That's what happens with sins of a father. His sin was more pronounced. He violently raped his sister. He didn't want to marry her. It said, the text says that he hated her. He hated her. But before we move on, I do want to acknowledge the elephant in the, in the room. The text just mentioned raped. And that's a serious word. And that's a serious thing. And if you are a victim of sexual abuse, men or women, as your pastor, I want you to know that I wrote this text in agony, um, in, in tears because I thought about you. I know some of your stories and I'm sorry that somebody did this to you. And, and as we said last week, it's not your fault. You are worthy. You were loved. And you can reclaim your voice. And if you are open and ready we have resources for you to help you to begin that journey. So you'll see behind me, there's, there's an email. There's an email that you, you can email, member, membercaremarshall.com. We want to help you, help you walk through that journey. But as we return to the text, we see that Amnon, he didn't listen to his sister. He raped her, finally raped her, but then he got violent with his words. Verse 15 says, he tells her, Get out of here, he said. No, she cried. Sending me away is much worse than the great wrong that you've done to me. She was saying, like, like you sending me away is even worse than even the raping itself. But he refused to listen to her. Instead, he called to the servants who waited on him. Cowards of men. 
get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind me. So we see in verse 13 that, that Amnon shames her. Then in verse 15, he tells her to get out. This is very confusing for Tamar and for the reader because in verse 4, it says that he was in love with her. But here in verse 15, it says that he hated her. Right before he raped her, he used some, some weird language. He says that she was his sister and now she is just a this. Get this out of here. Gentlemen, that's what happens when we use power wrongly. We use people to get what we want for our own fulfillment. The person made in the image of God, beautiful, love, cherish, now becomes an object to us. Tamar became a this. So, so, so he sent her away. Her presence made him so mad because she was a reminder of the truth about himself. She was the face of his horrifying sin. Therefore, he couldn't deal with it. So he forcefully left her alone to deal with the abuse. Voiceless, powerless, and without choice. What we see here that Amnon's love for her wasn't love. It was a desire to possess. Amnon's love was lust. And lust is always a selfish desire. Amnon's raping, though it may be extreme, but it is an example uh, of what happens when we don't address the lust in our hearts, both men and women. We all struggle with lust. Lust as a definition is, 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 is defined as a disordered sexual desire. I, I want to be, be clear here is that the Bible speaks to healthy sexual desire. It speaks to it. And so if you have a healthy desire, that is godly. But lust is acting on a desire that is out of step with God's laws and God's commands. And that is when it becomes disordered. And if we do not check our disordered sexual desires like Amnon, we will become blind to the consequences. We, 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 don't, we won't see that, oh, I'm just looking at porn and, and it's not harming anybody, but it is harming your marriage. You know that most of those people are sex traffickers that you're watching. You're harming them. You're even harming yourself because you do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. And for, for the married person, your body belongs to your spouse. Lust is selfish. Like his daddy, Amnon's lust turned into terror and it ruined another woman's life. For Tamar, look at this, his lust stole her virginity, her fitness for marriage in that culture because she was damaged goods now. Her good name her power, her voice, and her choice. It broke the trust that she had with men. But also his lust led to, the, to an upheaval in the royal family. Y'all thought that the royal family had a hot mess today. There's a whole another, another mess about to happen here in a bit. But in light of the bad news here, we can cling to some good news. And here it is, because of the gospel, God's grace is our medicine for our disgrace regarding our lust. I'm talking to everybody in the room, not just fathers, but, but it is Father's Day. I want to be clear here. Listen, listen in. You don't have to be overcome by your lust. You don't. You are victorious because of the power of the gospel. The gospel is way more appetizing than your lust. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is more satisfying, he's more lovely, that, that he can fulfill a desire that lust can never fulfill? Jesus redeems your lust. 
And through his redemption, through the power of the cross, you are giving the power. He says that he was going to send us power through the Holy Spirit. So God, the Spirit is in you with power to resist temptation, to live a life of purity, and to honor God, to honor yourself, and to honor others. Romans 6, 6 takes it this way. It says that we know the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sins might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. You are free, my friend. You are free. So, so let's turn from these lustful desires. Go and confess your sins and struggles to someone. If you are struggling, go confess it because what is brought to light? What is brought to light no longer has to make it in power over you. It doesn't. Go confess it then go and walk in and embrace in the freedom and grace Jesus offers you. Verse 18, Amnon threw her out, Amnon's servants threw her out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long um, robe because this is what the king's virgin's daughter wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long sleeve robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went out crying. Verse 20, her brother Absalom said to her, has your brother Amnon been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in the house of her brother Amnon. And when King David heard about all these things, he was furious. So we see here that now Tamar is all alone. And she goes and mourns. And literally she goes from beauty to ashes. She tears her robe because she thinks that she's damaged goods and her life is over. But then the text says she tries to get her brother Absalom's attention. Absalom told her, he says, be quiet for now. He silenced her. And y'all, that's the one thing we don't do when it comes down to the victims. The first thing we don't do is we don't further as victims. We don't further victimize them by taking away the voice of victims. When someone says someone did something to them, you don't quiet them. You listen. But, but then Absalom tells Tamar, he, he says, hey, you're being irrational. Don't take this thing to heart. Look at this. He couldn't even name the pain. He called it this. He couldn't name her experience. Which brings me to my second point about when we're, we're trying to minister to people, of, to, to victims. We need to make sure we don't victimize the victim by encouraging more denial causing more shame and minimizing what happened to them. Absalom saying, he is your brother is like saying, oh, this God has a bright future. So let's, let's not make a big deal about this because you don't want to ruin his life. What about Tamar's future? What about the victim's future? What about their future? So we know what we're not supposed to do. So, so, so what do we do? First, we practice compassionate listening. Listen to the depth of the person, the dark places of their souls. Do not ask interrogating questions like, what were you wearing? Why were you there? Why didn't you call for help? Give them their voice back and believe them. Second, we need to have empathetic involvement. In verse 20, Absalom leaves her alone in her misery instead of stepping into her pain. He should have been involved in her sorrow, involved in her grief, involved in her loss, but he didn't. He remained distant and so did the family and they just moved on. Verse 21, and when King David heard all this, he was furious. Then it just jumps. And Absalom said a word, and never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. 
Two years later, big gap. No one's talking about Tamar. Two years later, Absalom's sheep shears were at Belhazar near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then he went to the king and said, your servants had just hired sheep shears. Will the king and the servants please come to your servant? So what's going on here is that some time had passed. There's been about two years and Absalom is just, is just um, thinking about ways of how to get back at, at Amnon. And so full of hate and anger in his heart, he decided to invite David and the whole family to, to a boys event, right? And so it's where they, they would eat and drink and they'll literally watch professional sheep shears um, cut some wool off the sheep. I can imagine me in West Texas growing up, this is like herding cow or something. I don't know. But it was an event that, that they did. And this is the plot. According to verses 25 and 27, Absalom, Absalom he, he originally wanted David to go, but David refused to go because he had to watch over the kingdom. So then he asked for Amnon. He says, would, would, would Amnon come? But check this. David was fully aware of the family drama with his children. They had multiple, more than one dinner in two years to know that there was conflict, that there was things going on. He knew that Amnon raped his daughter, but he didn't do anything. And he sends him to go to his brother, verse 28. Now Absalom commanded his young men, so now they're plotting. Watch Amnon until he's, he's in a good mood from the wine. He said, get, get him drunk. And when I order you to strike him, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Am I not the one who commanded you? Be strong and valiant. He quotes the scripture. So Absalom's young men did to Amnon, just as Absalom had commanded. And all the rest of the king's son got up and each fled on his mule. It's kind of like a black cookout, whatever. So we'll start pop- popping off. Everyone starts, starts running. Then it was, you're welcome. <laughs> got, got some jokes in there. This, yes, this is tough. Instead of protecting his sister and being her advocate, Absalom plots to kill another man. Plotting murder is a family trait. David's scheme to have Uriah killed, but Absalom's plot is much worse. He got his brother killed. The sins of a father strike again. Yeah, yeah. For both men, the plotting to kill another person reveals a lack of character. Godly character aims to do what is right and live for what is right. David's character was suspect at times and his sons picked up on the worst parts of it. Fathers, your character matters. What you do in secret will be revealed in your public life. May not be revealed in the moment, I've sat with enough members to know that 20 years later, what they thought that they hid, it it came as a monster. A undeveloped character, a underdeveloped character may not lead to murder. It it may not, but it will drastically impact the life of, of your children, of your family, and your community. And that is why we need Jesus. God's grace is medicine for our disgrace when it comes to our character. Y'all, God's grace is, is the ultimate remedy for an inherent um, flaw of human character, which often leads to disgraceful behavior and actions. Through the cross of Jesus, through the cross, we can receive grace, we can receive forgiveness, healing renewal uh, for the negative consequences of our uh, disgraceful behaviors. Father, I need you to hear this. God's grace 
is the balm that restores and transforms even the most broken parts of you. This is not inside the sermon, but I'm going to say this. You have to start first dealing with your daddy wounds. We all got them. We all got them. And if you don't address them, they will come back and haunt you and haunt your kids. Then, then if we don't address them, you're going, to be tur- you're going to turn into a shell of yourself. Instead of developing your character, you're running from cultivating it because you don't want to deal with you. God gives you the grace to deal with you because you are bought with the price. You have been made new. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. You are a new creation. So you can address that sinful man because God is making you new. So here's some ways of how to practice godly character. First is meet with God daily. You got to meet with him. You got to know him. There's a guy named David Brenner. It says the essence of, of, of meeting with God is when, when you meet with him, you get to know yourself. Because God is the one who made you. He is your father. He created you. Practice forgiveness. The medicine for a bitter soul is forgiveness. Practice forgiveness. Get a godly crew of brothers around you. So many of us men in this room, we're isolated. We're not sharing any of this stuff. And so like Amnon, he gets around ungodly crew and then he goes and rapes somebody. Absalom goes, kills somebody. Get yourself in community. Get around some godly men. Then lastly, fight distraction. And what I mean by this is stop fighting against the things that are haunting you in your soul. You got those things. I got those, those things. Write it down. Start sharing with, with some brothers. Go see a therapist. But fight those distractions that keep you numb. But we got to get back to the text. Verse 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of, of Amihu, king of Gesar. And David mourned for his son Every day. So he mourned for Amnon. And after Absalom had fled to Gesar and had been there, and he'd been there three years, King David longed to go to Absalom, for David had finished grieving over Amnon's death. So, so to, to summarize this, a, a, um, a messenger came to David and said, hey, um, there was some things that popped off at the, at the event, and all of your sons are dead, including Amnon. But as we if you look at the text a little bit, there happens to be old Jadonadab who is he's just hanging around. He's always around the most powerful. He's just hanging around. And he corrected the narrative. He says, hey, that's not right. The only person who's dead is Amnon, as though that's better. And then he says, and Absalom went and went and fled to, to, to Gesar to be with his, grand, his grandfather. And upon hearing this news, David tore his clothes and he mourned. But that's all he did. He longed for Absalom. However, he did nothing. We see see these same actions with David in verse 7. When Amnon asked to go see Tamar, instead of being a good father and saying, son, that's not wise, he did nothing. In verse 21, when he learns that, that, that his son raped his daughter, He gets angry and he does nothing. David does nothing. That's the summary of his interactions with his children. He does nothing. And the reason why I believe that he did nothing was that he was cowering in the shame of his sins. If you think about it, David did not have a great household. He he had eight wives and and 18 children just walking, walking around. I'm going to say this. It was like Carowinds that meets a rap video, right? Just women, children everywhere. Not a great environment for raising children. But David confronted with his failures. He failed to protect his children and he remained passive. So fathers and mothers, maybe this is you in the room. Maybe you're like David. 
You've had made, you've made plenty of mistakes in your life and you're paralyzed by your failures. You may have lost it. You're cool on your children. You, you may have, have called your, your grown child out, out of their own name and you are afraid to tell them about gr- the grace and kindness of Jesus because you feel like you're a fraud. So like David, your shame keeps you passive. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. He shows us that God's grace also is our medicine for our disgrace when it comes to our passivity. Because of the cross, the active moving cross of Jesus, who Jesus moved towards us. Jesus redeemed our passivity towards our failures. He takes your cowardice and he turns it into courage. And your failures as a parent, listen, is no longer a means for you to hide in your shame, but it's a means to reclaim and proclaim God's goodness. Because what better way is for your children to learn about the grace of God is through your failures. What better way to say, I'm sorry for getting mad. I'm sorry that I didn't lead this way, but Jesus is better. Because of the cross, you can apologize to your children. You can ask for forgiveness, which models humility. And, And when you blow it and when you go off the handles, you can still say, I'm sorry because the cross frees you. My friend, you are free. And last thing, you can hold your kids accountable. Because accountability is not based upon your character. It's based on the cross. Point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Christ gives you courage. But y'all, as, as we come to a close, I just want to conclude our time looking back at verses 18 and 19. So we saw that Christ gives us, um, we just saw that Christ gives us courage when it comes down to our passivity. But let's let's look at verses 18 and 19. Now Tamar was wearing a long sleeve robe because this is what the King's Version's daughter wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long sleeve robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying. What the writer of this text wants us to see here is that although her brothers and her family wasn't looking at Tamar, the writers want us to look at Tamar. God sees Tamar. He put this down for us to stare at what happened to Tamar. Tamar thought that she, as we observed, that she was damaged goods. So she so, so the clothes that she had that represented purity and royalty because she was a princess, she shreds them as Amnon shredded her. And we're not going to hear more about Tamar in the Bible. We, we leave not knowing much about her. But if I was face to face to Tamar, I would remind her, Tamar, Tamar, Jesus is in the business of restoring women who were outcast. Women like Mary Magdalene and these, these Samaritan women. If, if, if I was before Tamar, here is what I would say to her. And here's what I say to a victim of abuse. And here's a word for you. God's grace is a medicine for the disgraced. Tamar didn't do, Tamar didn't do anything wrong. Well, she needed her sins be seen, acknowledged, spoken, and then met with empathy. Y'all, when people experience trauma, they, they, they need those things. They need to be seen, acknowledged, spoken to, and met with empathy, and to be gently healed by their Lord and Savior. And that's the only way that they move forward. You see, by dying on the cross, Jesus looked at people like Tamar and declared her battered soul worthy, worthy. And when he hung upon the cross and when when he said that he was making all things new, he had Tamar in mind and victim of abuse, he had you in mind. Tamar thought she lost her value as a woman. She thought she lost her voice. She thought that it was over. 
But Tamar is not on this side of the cross. She didn't see that Jesus declared that it is finished. It's finished. He took her shame. He took her guilt. And victim of abuse, he took yours too. Satan attempts to destroy victims' faith. If you're a victim, he tips to destroy by a damage of trust. He tips to destroy by a damage to the loss of power. But in the gospel, this is what I want to tell Tamar. I want to tell you is that you are no longer a victim, but you are victorious. You have all the power. You have all the love. You have all of the Father's affection. And because of Christ, you are redeemed. You are redeemed. So I know, as I end, I know this is not a fun Father's Day message. It's a, it's a heavy word. But fathers, as you look upon this, may, may there be no more Tamars in our lives. May there be no more wars and murders. May, may we lead with courage. May we break the generational sins and walk as God has called us to. Fathers, may you sow the seeds of righteousness and change the narrative of your family because God's grace is a medicine for your disgrace. With that, will you join me in prayer? Lord, we are, there's a lot of things going on in a lot of our hearts. There's a lot of things that um, even I still just wrestling with, like what happened? How did that happen? Lord, your grace is balm for our souls. So as we continue in worship, Lord, help us to mesmerize on that grace. Think about your grace. Think about your love. Think about the cross. Think about the finished work that you said that it was finished. It was done. It was completed. There's no more shame. There's no more guilt. Help us think about your affection and your gaze upon us. Your, your beauty and your worth. So Lord, we thank you for passages like this. Though hard, they are a reminder for us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Let me pray. Amen.